This is God's word. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Amen. We thank God for his word to us. Like I say, we started our series way back in January, looking at man's chief end about worship. And we asked the question of Psalm 24, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? And the answer of the psalm, as we've just read, is pretty straightforward. It is him who has a clean has clean hands and a pure heart. Now, we know that it's only Christ who can claim this for himself. And it's only through Christ that any of us are able to ascend the hill of the Lord. It's only in Jesus that we are able to enter into God's holy place to worship him. In ourselves, we have dirty hands. We have unpure hearts. But through the cleansing of Jesus, the, the great high priest, we are covered and clothed in his righteousness. And so we are perfectly holy before God. Well, the reason that we share in what Christ has accomplished is because of what we read in the rest of Psalm 24. The psalmist says of this one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted their soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully, that is Jesus. Well, the psalmist tells us in verse five that he shall receive blessing from the Lord. And then the psalm goes on to, to explain, and it, it's clear that the blessing that Christ receives is not kept to himself. It's bestowed on his people. He, he enters into the heavenly and holy city. The gates are opened for him. The doors are raised up and he comes in to the holy city and bestows his blessing upon his people. This is a common idea in the scriptures, the, the idea of blessing. And it points us always towards the ultimate blessing which God's people receive. And that is everlasting salvation through the indwelling of Christ in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And so the idea of blessing is this. We come into the worship of God. We come in through Christ. It's only in Jesus and the salvation that he has secured for us on the cross. It's only in him that we are accepted. 
And so we, as sinful people, well, we don't enter into God's presence, even in worship, unless God calls us. We've spoken in a roundabout way about the call to worship. But we've not mentioned it explicitly, perhaps, in these classes. But each Sunday, we have a call to worship. It comes from God's word. It, it is a portion of scripture where God invites us to worship him. He invites us into his presence. One example is found in, in Hebrews 10, and I think it's, it's a really helpful example. It says, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he has consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And so we enter into God's presence with, with confidence and assurance. We enter boldly, not because of ourselves, not because of anything we've done, but because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. Because through Christ, through his flesh, we have true hearts. We have full assurance of faith. We've been, our hearts have been sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies are washed with pure water. And so we come into God's presence at his invitation. Because of what Jesus has done, God invites us to worship him. And so in our service of worship, God gets the first word. God gets the first word in our service of worship in the call to worship. Now, how do we respond to that? We respond by ascribing glory to God's name. That's how we respond to being called to worship. We respond by worshipping. And most specifically, we respond in praise. One element of praise is doxology. Doxology. Doxology is a proclamation of praise to God. It is words spoken by human beings ascribing glory upwards to our Heavenly Father. One example of doxology is found in Romans chapter 11. Paul is describing the relationship between the Jews and the Gentiles in the New Covenant, and, and he reaches a point that he, where he just goes beyond human understanding and he simply proclaims Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counsellor? Or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. You see how doxology works? This is just an, an outburst of praise from a human being to God, proclaiming the glory and the excellency of God. Another familiar doxology is found in the little book of Jude in the New Testament. 
Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Saviour, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Those are beautiful verses of scripture, exclaiming the wonders of God and proclaiming glory to his name for who he is and what he has done. Now, we don't have a formal doxology in our services on Sunday. Maybe we should, maybe that's something that I should think about. But I do try and incorporate a doxology, this kind of thinking and even wording, into our prayers of adoration at the start of our service. You will frequently hear me say something along the lines of using the form of words of an ancient doxology of the church. Usually at the end of our opening prayer, when we pray, glory be to our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and shall be forevermore. Amen. So doxology is a major part of worship. And in terms of the dialogical principle, which we've discussed in, in previous weeks, we've said worship, remember, is a conversation between God and his people. Well, doxology is spoken by the people to God. God gets the first word. He, he calls us to worship him. But we respond with words of praise. And that can be described as doxology. So doxology is from man to God. Doxology is man to God. But even though worship is a conversation, God gets the first word and God gets the last word. And the final words in our service are the benediction. And the benediction is the blessing of God upon his people. Benediction is, is another word for blessing. And it's the benediction that we leave worship with. We leave with the blessing of God ringing in our ears as God's covenant people. We have the, the blessing, the benediction of our covenant king, Jesus Christ. The blessing which he received through his work on the cross and then bestowed upon us in blessing. So while doxology is words that we speak to God, benediction is God's word to us. Benediction is God's word to man. The benediction at the end of our services is not a prayer. It's not a prayer. The minister is not asking God to do something. You might notice that, that I try to avoid using the word may in our benedictions. It's for that very reason, because I'm not asking God to do something. This is a pronouncement of God upon his people. But I have to say that the whole online thing has thrown me. I, I, 
I've had to think deeply about these things and, and pick my words very carefully in the benediction. We're not really having a proper service of worship whenever we're not gathered together. So what I'm doing is helping to facilitate household worship. And you might have noticed I changed it from a benediction to a blessing in the order of service to try and highlight that or, or at least make recognition of that fact. But I have to say the benediction is not a prayer. And so look, I, I would suggest, I wouldn't be strict about it, but I would suggest that you think about not bowing your head during the benediction. Rather lift your head up and receive the blessing of God. It's not a prayer. But it also should be made clear that this is not the blessing of the minister upon the people. I have no authority to bless anyone. I have no blessing to give. It is proclaimed through the minister as the one who is ordained as a minister of the word to perform this task. But the benediction is the real and actual blessing of Jesus upon his people. I want to take us to a few places in the Bible that might help us understand the benediction. And there's a number of places we could go uh, in the Old Testament. Benediction is something that happens, that takes place as a result of worship. For example, in Genesis 14, Genesis 14, we read about Abraham meeting a strange character called Melchizedek. Melchizedek is described as king of Salem, but also the priest of the Most High God. And Melchizedek, as a priest, blesses Abraham. We're told that he brought out bread and wine, which indicates to us that there was some sort of meal going on, a, a worship meal, a communion meal, perhaps we could say. And then he blesses Abraham. Not with a blessing of his own, but with the blessing of God. He says, blessed be Abraham of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. Other blessings we read in the Old Testament are the same. The blessing of God is pronounced upon God's people. We see it with Abraham blessing Isaac, Isaac blessing his son Jacob, Jacob blessing his sons and so on. And then we come to Moses and we read about the tabernacle, the, the place where God meets with his people as they're wandering in the wilderness. I want to read you a few verses from Leviticus chapter 9. Leviticus chapter 9, which is the first worship service in the tabernacle. Aaron lifted his hand towards the people and blessed them. A man came down from offering the sin offering, the burnt offering, and peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting and came out and blessed the people. So you can see what's going on in Leviticus 9. It's, it's a worship service. There are offerings being offered. And because he's made offerings to God, Aaron has received the blessing as the high priest. Aaron receives the blessing. 
He goes into the tabernacle and then he comes out and blesses the people. It's similar, a similar thing happens in my favorite benediction of the whole Bible from Numbers chapter 6. Let me read you the blessing of Numbers chapter 6. You'll be familiar with it. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel, God's people. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name on the children of Israel and I will bless them. This is not asking God to do something. It's not a prayer. This is God blessing his people through his ordained servant, Aaron. And he says, through this benediction, Aaron doesn't put his own name on the people. Aaron puts the name of God on the people. And as God's people who carry his name, well, they are blessed. Now, we live in a different time from Aaron and Moses. We live after the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. After he has poured out his spirit upon the church at Pentecost. And so we don't rely on any other human being to to receive God's blessing and then pass it to us. We have no mediator between God and man other than Jesus Christ, the one mediator. So the minister is not receiving a blessing which he passes on to the people. Rather, Jesus is the one with clean hands and a pure heart who has received the blessing of God and then pours it out on his people. Listen to what Jesus does in Luke chapter 24. Luke 24 says, He led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass, while he blessed them, that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. Luke 24. So Jesus left his church, the church on earth. He left blessing them. He left them with his benediction. The benediction is far from a a full stop or a formality that we go through to, to bookmark the end of a service of worship. In the benediction, what we are doing is giving formal recognition to the truth and fact of what happens in worship. God blesses his people. He puts his name upon us. He keeps us. He is gracious to us. He makes his face to shine upon us and he gives us peace. What could be better than that? People rejoice. They're they're filled with joy over a new job or a new car. But there's nothing. Not one thing in this world that should fill us with more joy than when we hear God's word of blessing and benediction pronounced upon us at the end of our service of worship. From that benediction, from that blessing, we head out into the world to live for Christ in each 
and every moment. There are some who say all of life is worship. And I have sympathy with that idea. But I have to say that there is a difference. We know there is a difference between how the Lord's day begins and how every other day of the week begins. And so we begin each week on the Lord's day. And the first thing we do with our week is we worship God. Through worship, God blesses us. We are called into his presence and he blesses us. What joy it is to do that at the start of every week. So as we leave the worship service, we go out into the week that lies ahead. It could hold any number of ups or downs. But we go into that week with the benediction ringing in our ears, knowing that we are the blessed covenant people of the covenant king, Jesus Christ. I'm really, really looking forward to returning to worship this Sunday, to enter into the presence of God, to praise him in doxology. And I'm really looking forward to having that privilege of pronouncing Christ's blessing upon his people as we leave. I can't wait for this Sunday. And hopefully we will get to do that for many, many Sundays to come. And now let's pray together.